In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Anne Belfed Olano, a professor at Union Theological Seminary, writes that picturing God must precede anything we speak about God. For our pictures accompany all our words as they continue long after we fall before, silent before God. The image of God we have in our hearts and minds must precede anything we say about God. I'm sure some of you have heard about St. Ignatius, St. Ignatius of Loyola, composed a retreat handbook of spiritual exercises. There are three, seven, and 30 days silent retreats that are based on Ignatius' spirituality. A few years ago, I went to a beautiful Dominican sister's monastery in Switzerland to spend 30 days in silence doing these spiritual exercises. It was the early spring season and the place where I was staying at, on one side it was surrounded by the beautiful snowy mountains and on the other side there was a beautiful lake. I spent those 30 days exploring two questions of my life. First was, God's call for me to the ordained ministry. And the second one, an even more important question was, discerning whether I was called to be a monk and live a celibate life. Yes, at some point, I was considering a life of celibacy. In those 30 days, I met with my spiritual accompaniment every day and I was allowed to speak only to him and only for 30 minutes a day. No phones, no internet, no letters, no communication to the outside world. The image of God I had when I entered the 30 day silence was very different from the image of God I have now. Instead of being open, I feared the question of what if. What if I don't, choose the, I don't choose the life of celibacy and how God is going to punish me? What if I will discern not to pursue ordained ministry? There was a fear and lots of what ifs. Instead of seeing God as loving, liberating and life-giving God. I was seeing God as a master who is waiting to pass a verdict on me if I don't do certain things in a certain way. Then one day, my spiritual accompaniment, with whom I was meeting every day, asked me, Salmoon, why are you so full of fear? You need to trust that God loves you today, tomorrow, and forevermore. No matter how you hear the voice of spirit in your life, God is and will be with you always. I went, to, I went into this retreat imagining sitting God on the throne to punish and pass the judgment and verdicts. 
But those 30 days changed my perception of God to a loving, life-giving, and liberating God who is there for us even we fail or fall and call us his beloved children. Together with discerning about the future of my ministry, I think most importantly, I was able to carve the generous, loving, and caring image of God in my heart and in my mind. The image of God we have in our hearts and minds must precede anything we say about God. What kind of image have you created in your heart and mind? God of wrath, anger, or God of justice, peace, and love? God which, is, which punishes and pushes into the darkness, or God of grace and abundance? Brothers and sisters, there is a direct relation between our image of God and our behaviors and relationship to God and to one another. In the gospel today, we hear a story of a master who went on a long journey and he entrusted his three servants with a large sum of money without giving them clear instructions of what to do with it. And Matthew does enjoy big numbers as we might recall him, his other financial parables. And this is to no surprise, of course, with him being a former tax collector. He loves to tell stories in numbers. The three servants in today's story are the wealthy masters or household, masters retainers or households bureaucrats, essentially the middlemen who oversee the land and the workers collect the debts, and keep the profits coming while the master travels on business. Seeing how master trusted his servant, I can imagine there must have already been an established relationship between him and his servants. Two things, trust and relationship, we already got from the first couple of verses from this parable. The master entrusts his wealth to his servant and not only he's trusting them with his wealth, he also does so over a long period of time. Historically, in Jesus' days, talents were not only coins or crumples of cash, a talent which was a first a unit of measure of silver or gold, and it became the highest denomination of currency. A talent which was an astronomical sum of money, roughly equivalent to some historians. According to some historians, it was about 15 to 20 years of wages for average worker in those days. Being from an engineering background, I cannot resist the urge to explain the story through more numbers like Matthew. Here in this context, the daily wage was approximately one denarius. So the typical labor worked 50 days of the week, 50 weeks of the year, and earned an annual wage of about 300 denarii. Now suppose you continue to work a day 
as, as a day laborer, earning 300 denarii each year. And after 20 years of such labor, you will have earned 6,000 denarii. Congratulations. You have worked for 20 years, and now you have earned 6,000 denarii, which was equivalent to one talent. One talent. This also means five talents were about daily wages equivalent to 100 years. So you can imagine how large the sum of money was and the amount, that, amount of trust it required for the master to hand over to his three different servants. A talent represented a staggering amount of money to Jesus' peasant audience. The English word talent, meaning a special ability, drives also in part from this ancient sense of very valuable gift or a large sum of money. And after the long journey, when the master came back, he asked for the report of what the servants did in his absence. Two servants who had five and two talents told their masters what they did and how they expanded the master's kingdom by taking risks, being encouraged by the trust he put in them and doubling what he gave to them. However, we can see the third servant's mind was overcome with fear of death as he says, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid that one talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. The third servant takes a timid approach, burying the money for the fear of losing it. The third servant believes and perceives his master as a harsh, angry, and unmerciful man. He doesn't respond to the trust of his master has put on unto him and underestimate the possibilities of being a faithful and courageous servant because of a fundamental misunderstanding and the image of, of his master he has in his mind and in his heart. And we see in the parable, master does to the third servant exactly how he perceives him. He was being cast down into the outer darkness. As you all know, this parable is generally understood as the master being God and us servants. And more often than not, we see ourselves acting like the third servant. I feel so much for him for being consumed by the fear and building the image of his master as angry, harsh man. I feel so much for us, children of God, being tied down with our own fears and imagining God as judgmental and unmerciful. But it is not God who is throwing us in the darkness. Instead, we 
are the ones creating this image of God in our minds and keeping ourselves in the darkness of fear. Out of abundance, love and light of our life-giving God. The image of God we have in our hearts and minds must precede anything we say about God. I can imagine the two servants who who took risks must have had something in their minds as well about their master. But they chose to respond to their master's trust and generosity. Friends, this parable of three servants is not about harsh, angry God who wants to throw you into the darkness, but of God who bless you through his abundant, generous, and life-giving spirit, even if we fall short, which most of us do many times. What we have to do is to align our image of God our perception of God, who God is in our hearts and minds with God of love and God of life. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, until we finally reject the projection of God as angry and judgmental, the fear of being thrown in the darkness will always rule over us. Like my spiritual accompaniment who helped me to see and trust the kind of God who is loving, liberating, and life-giving. Today, I invite you to carve the image of God in your heart and mind. See how we inform each other's faith through our lives, through the embodiment of our life stories of faith, courage, love, risks, and trust God's abundant grace and that God loves us even if we fail. Our perception of God is crucial of our experiences of God because we meet God as we imagine and perceive God. The image of God we have in our hearts and minds must precede anything we say about God. Amen.